Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions Team. My name's Tim Smith. I'm a professional support consultant in the pensions team and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dan Saunders, who's a senior associate in our pension disputes team. Hi, Dan. Hi, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, good to have you. Today, Dan's going to be talking through some of the kind of key principles about trustee liability and also what trustees can do to, to protect themselves. And he'll also be looking at some of the recent kind of case law in this area. So, Dan, could you perhaps just kick off by telling us what's the starting point when you're considering a claim against a, a trustee? Of course. So ordinarily, you're looking at breach of trust claims. So that's an allegation that an individual or a company acting as trustee has either not acted in accordance with the scheme's trust deed and rules or failed to comply with their legal obligations as, as trustee in some other way. But it's it's probably worth reminding people that if a trustee is found to have committed a, a breach of trust, they face the prospect of being personally liable for any losses flowing from that breach, which means their own personal assets are on the line. So such claims have potentially very serious consequences for trustees. And in respect of such claims, the first thing you would want to look at is whether, in respect of the relevant act or omission, the trustee was acting in accordance with legal advice. And if that is the case, provided the advice was apparently competent and the legal advisors were asked the right questions and important factual information necessary to answer that question was not omitted, you would generally expect the trustee to have a good defence to a claim for breach of trust. Secondly, you might want to look to see if there was an exoneration clause within the trust deed and rules. You'll need to consider specific wording of the relevant provision, but commonly the effect of these provisions is to exclude any liability against the trustee other than for fraud or breach of trust knowingly and intentionally committed. So the bar is extremely high. And where there is such a clause, mere negligence will not be enough. You have to go on to consider the trustee's subjective state of mind. So depending on the terms of the exoneration clause, proves that the trustee committed a deliberate act in the knowledge that the act or omission was a breach of trust, or at least prove that the trustee deliberately disregarded the risk that it was a breach of trust. So it sounds from that like a trustee is pretty well protected when it comes to personal liability. And that's even before you start to think about things like indemnities, trustee insurance. Is that is that right? Yeah, broadly, I think trustees have a number of protections and a widely drafted exoneration clause in particular is going to make it quite difficult to successfully pursue a claim against a pension trustee, absent a finding of dishonesty at least. And there have in the past been good reasons for those widely drafted exoneration clauses. The duties owed by trustees are onerous and wide ranging and historically, more often than not, the office of trustee was held by lay individuals with the risk of, as I said before, personal liability. Now, where the sole trustee is an insured professional trustee, as is often nowadays the case, it's perhaps more difficult to justify those widely drafted exoneration clauses in particular, even if in some respects, at least, professional trustees will be held to a higher standard in any case. Then in terms of insurance and indemnities, yeah, they offer the trustee something different again and protection, amongst other things, against the legal costs incurred defending a claim. And in the case of indemnity, protection against liabilities to third parties. Hmm. Interesting the points you make there about the difference between professional and, and, and lay trustees. It's also common nowadays, um, as well as seeing professional trustees on trustee boards, but for trustees to act through trustee companies and to act as trustee directors. So what's the position there? 
So directors of a trustee company have arguably another protection, and that's in the form of what we call the corporate veil. So the trustee company's liabilities are its own, and others, including its directors, cannot generally be pursued for the trustee's liabilities. Over the years, there have been challenges to that, so-called dogleg claims, and recently the court considered such a derivative claim against the directors and the alleged shadow director of the University Superannuation Scheme Limited. That's the trustee company of USS. A derivative claim is a procedural device and it avoids the injustice which would occur where a wrong is suffered for which no redress is otherwise available. So the obvious example is where the company is controlled by the wrongdoer against whom a claim would otherwise be brought. The claim in respect of USS arose out of, amongst other things, the decision by the trustee company to prepare a statutory actuarial valuation in 2020 and the effect that valuation was said to have had on decisions about future contribution rates and benefit changes. As at the date of the valuation, scheme assets had depreciated from the effects of COVID-19, and it was said the trustee company should and was entitled to delay the valuation. The court considered this claim very recently and at a very early stage, and what the claimants, both members of the scheme, were asking the court for was a permission to continue the claim, and be an indemnity from the trustee company for their costs in this application and for the claim going forward. Now, in the events, the, the claimants got neither. However, the judge did not rule out the possibility of members of a pension scheme bringing a derivative claim on behalf of a trustee company against the directors of that company. That's really interesting. So do you think that claim potentially opens up another avenue by which members could bring a claim against directors of a trustee company? Possibly. I think, but as, as the law currently stands, at least, I think it's, it's probably only likely to be available in very limited circumstances. The, the first point to note is that this is a very different type of claim from the types of claims we've been discussing earlier. So it's not a breach of trust claim. It concerns allegations of breaches of fiduciary and statutory duty as directors, without even attempting to do justice to what are very interesting and novel claims, or Mr Justice Leach's careful analysis of those claims. The picture that broadly emerges from that judgment is that, as things currently stand, multiple derivative claims by pension scheme members against directors of trustee companies are going to be extremely challenging. It's probably enough to highlight two difficulties. The first difficulty is establishing that the loss suffered by the trustee company is reflective of the loss suffered by the members. And that is likely to be difficult in a pension scheme context. Where it may arise, and this was accepted in principle by the trustee company in USS, is if there's been a wrongful depletion of the scheme's assets. So in USS, it was alleged that the advisors and directors had been paid inflated amounts. And whilst this didn't occur in USS, you might have a scenario in which that has resulted in the scheme being unable to pay promised benefits. And in that scenario, the loss suffered by the trustee company is potentially reflective of the loss suffered by the member who's no longer getting their promised benefits. Interestingly, though, the judge in USS, in fact, went further. He accepted that it may, in principle, be possible for claimants to bring a multiple derivative claim where it can be shown that the increased costs of the scheme from advisor costs or other things led to a detrimental change to the benefit structure. But that brings us to the second difficulty in multiple derivative claims. The claimants then need to go on to either prove deliberate or dishonest breaches of duty, so something similar to the high bar we talked about in respect of exoneration clauses, 
or that the directors improperly benefited themselves at the expense of the trustee company. And that's likely to be evidentially very difficult to prove, particularly if, as in USS, pay rises were determined by an appointed remuneration committee. And it's noteworthy that the judge in USS rejected the claimant's argument that it would be sufficient to establish a fraud on the power. By that, I mean that the power has been exercised for a purpose or with an intention beyond the scope of or not justified, in this case, in the trustee and rules. So from what you've been saying, it sounds like trustees are likely to be well protected in the event of, of a kind of breach of trust claim or, or even a derivative claim like we saw in USS. From my experience, it's quite common actually for trustees, though not, not necessarily to be aware of the protections that they've got in respect of their specific scheme. So, so what would you say to a trustee who's unsure about the protections available to them under their scheme? Given that there is potential personal liability, I would encourage them to go away and look at the rules to check whether they benefit from an exoneration clause and an indemnity, reminding them that an indemnity is only as good as the entity standing behind it, and check whether they benefit from insurance, and if they do, what that insurance cover provides for. Alongside that, the best form of protection for trustees really is to ensure that their scheme is well run and that when they're making decisions or exercising powers, they follow a proper process and consider appropriate professional advice. Great. Thank you, Dan. I'm sure that'd be reassuring for, for many of uh, our trustee clients and, and the trustees listening to this podcast. Just by way of reminders to our listener, this is part of a series that we're doing on pension disputes. So check out the other podcasts in the series on our blog at HSF Notes. So, Dan, thanks for joining me today. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it.